0: Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder, ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with
1: actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur,
0: SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Podcast, where SaaS founders race to solve a Rubik's Cube while being coached by a team of extremely opinionated parrots in order to win their next round of funding. <laughs> no, just kidding. We don't jump through hoops like that. We fund smart around here. Well, I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of freedom and impact that you love. Well, I trust that you had a great Father's Day Sunday and made a difference for somebody on Juneteenth yesterday. A few months ago, I talked about underdogs and a peculiar facet of the human spirit where we tend to root for underdogs. you know, Gritty challengers who, despite the odds stacked against them, dare to dream and fight to win, right? Very much like entrepreneurship, I think. We've all heard the stories, watched the movies, read the books, tales of underdogs who rise from obscurity to take on the mighty champions. And one of my all-time favorites is Rocky. If you haven't seen it, you should. And yes, it's a boxing movie, but then again, it, it really isn't. It's an incredible story that tugs at our heart, sparks hope, and fuels our belief in the power of resilience and determination. The NBA Finals have been going on the last couple of weeks, and I thought maybe we'd be finishing up now, but a champion was actually crowned last week. And in the finals, it was the Denver Nuggets versus the Miami Heat. Statistically, Miami Heat, they shouldn't have been there. Uh, They should have been eliminated long ago. I mean, they hung in and beat team after team that on paper were better than them. So championship, game one went to Denver. Game two, Miami tied up the series. And on it went. And if you don't know, it's a best-of-seven series. So the first team to win four games wins it all. Denver won number three and then four. So then game five went back and forth. Miami was up. Denver was up. Miami, Denver, tie. Two minutes left. Miami was up. And then winner by five points, Denver. I mean, it's great for them. I mean, First championship win. And congrats if you're a Nuggets fan for sure. Winning is awesome, and losing really sucks. In a championship, there is always a winner and a loser. And if you know you do a lot to get there and then somebody wins and somebody loses, yet some people uh, will say, "Oh you know, hey, well, at least you get to play in the championship game, like that's a consolation prize. you know, at least you made it. And I would say they've probably never been in a championship game. I put that out there, because losing sucks. And, you know, what do you do when you go that far? You reach the pinnacle, you overcome the odds, you leave it all out on the court or on the field and you come up short. And yes, absolutely. They lost the game, but did they lose the battle? You know, what is the bigger picture here? What does it take for a team, an individual to bounce back from a defeat like that? The defeats come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. You know, what do you do as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a parent, as a spouse? I mean, how do you bounce back? There's a word resilience, and it's that part of the human spirit that refuses to bow down in the face of adversity. It's the mindset that sees failure not as a dead end, but as a detour, as a learning curve on the path to success. To cultivate resilience, we need perspective. You know, Understanding that a loss is not a reflection on your worth, but merely a result, and that can prevent negative self-talk and help maintain morale, because that's one of the things we beat ourselves up a lot over that. We'll play those moments over and over in our mind, what if I did something different? Another is other people to encourage and help us get past that defeat, so we're not on the journey alone. It's also about fostering a growth mindset. Where each setback is viewed as an opportunity to learn and improve, and finally, I would say resilience demands a really strong sense of purpose. So, a purpose not just of, of who we are, but you know why we are. You know what is it we want to accomplish? Where, where are we going? What does the bigger picture look like? So, it's not about just that that one thing, but there's something deeper. It's that strong sense of purpose. And with a group, you know, it's a clear shared goal. That can fuel determination. And whether those are teammates, whether those are people in your company, whether they're employees or partners or co-founders, it's having that shared goal for the the determination and, and inspires effort, but it brings unity in the face of adversity. So how resilient are you? You know, you say, I'm like super resilient, I got this nailed, or you know, maybe I could use some help in that area. Think about that and and what you might do to make yourself more resilient and build that into your world. You know, that's a core piece of the mission of our sponsor today, Champion Leadership Group. It's the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C suite executives to develop resilience and accelerate capital efficient growth. So unlock your business potential by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth toolkits, blueprints, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries, celebrate wins, and overcome defeats together. Prioritize strategic decisions and create profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Win championships daily, weekly, monthly, and at exit with Champion Leadership Group. Learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert guest last week, leading right into Father's Day, was father of six, Aaron Zakowski, CEO of Zamo Digital, a marketing agency helping B2B SaaS companies grow revenue with LinkedIn, Facebook, and Google Ads. He's the host of the SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast. He refereed a head-to-head battle of ad platforms and delivered outstanding insights into options. I mean, it's so good. Our founder on Tuesday was Nina Suri, founder and CEO of Zappa AI. It's a SaaS platform that leverages AI to assist organizations in streamlining the hiring process while eliminating bias, including unconscious bias. You know, we don't know that we have it and, but we, we, it shows up anyway. And so the AI eliminates that, which is a very cool thing. She also talked about her AI powered SaaS called Empower an AI-powered platform for companies to hire, develop, and retain neurodivergent talent. So it's a brilliant use of AI. Nina's such a powerful leader. If you missed either one of those episodes with Aaron or Nina, go back and give that a listen. Both of them are absolutely fantastic. My guest this week is Nate Graeick, founder of Sticky. It's a popular SaaS platform which helps creatives build story brand websites, landing pages, campaigns, and simple web apps to help them book more clients. Nate's using his decade of bootstrapping SaaS experience to help other SaaS founders reimagine their approach to marketing. Nate helps product-led founders focus on a deeper marketing strategy to unlock more predictable growth and sell without cringy tactics. And that sounds good, doesn't it? Welcome someone who makes SaaS marketing sticky, Nate
1: Grayick. Hey Nate, welcome to SAS Fuel. Wow. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Well, love to hear a little bit about your your background and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Uh, back in 2012, I was kind of moonlighting as a professional photographer um, on the side. And I stumbled across a cool way to use what I was learning in my corporate gig, corporate gig as like a trainer, an instructional designer. I was figuring out the iPad. It just came out and I was tinkering with, with enabling a with iPads. Um, and meanwhile, in the photography space, a really common tactic was to pass out custom business cards. And it was giving my cousin, who I did her high school senior portraits, I made them for her, and she says, Nate, um, I don't know if kids want paper anymore. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you <laughs> so much for the honesty. No, none of my other clients were being honest with me about, like, if I gave them to the moms, sometimes they'd pass them out. Anyway, I, in, that, in that amazing light bulb moment, I said, what if I made an app with your face on it, with your pictures, and you could pass it out, share it on your phone? Everybody's got a phone, right? And she was like, well, yeah, done, eh? That'd be perfect. Um, And so that was the kind of the impetus of Sticky Albums, our first product. And while I was kind of working, hustling part-time as a photographer, um, I was one of those weird anomalies. Now I've learned 12 years later that we had just crazy market product market fit early. So in the first 16 months, we grew to a million in um, annual recurring revenue. So it was like a wild ride. It was really fun. Um, but it was like so Sticky was very product. sticky. Exactly. Yeah, right on. <laughs> the name, in case I forget to say it, I always feel silly about a name like that. It's from the book uh, Made to Stick by Dan and Chip. I love that. One of my favorite marketing books. Yes. Uh, it's It like stuck an app icon to the client's phone and it was an out. Anyway, that's where it came from. And I, and I think that more today than ever, everything's so fleeting and short-lived that your marketing – in a lot of ways, has to be sticky. Uh, So that's really kind of become our overall brand. We now do websites, email marketing, landing pages, the whole shebang. But that's how we got started. And one of the things I was excited to talk with you today is how I didn't know early on that a lot of my fate was kind of sealed in our price. In what way? (laughs) Um, oh, pricing. That, right, That's a sticky pricing, subject right? in itself. Yes. It is. It is. But I think that it's, it's almost embarrassing, but I'm going to go there. It just, you just don't know what you don't know when you first get started. Sure. 100%. Um, our, our, average, um, our average price point was, when I started, was only 189 Oh, my gosh. Um, was $200 a year was like an average price point. And the reality I now know is that any any recurring membership that only costs that much, it's like a nice to have, right? I wasn't sure. not only was I not like a crucial part to somebody's running a business, but the other harsh reality is that most of my clients were not actually business owners. So as much as I wanted to convince myself that I was selling B2B, a lot of it, it was, a lot of it was kind of like selling B2C. And most of my churn Uh, was photographers just moving on and doing other things. And so that was a fun lesson. It forced us to get very scrappy. As the compound churn starts to happen, you got to get really scrappy with small team, um, being careful of what to build. We built essentially four different software products. And one of my favorite anecdotes to to share with other kind of product-led founders, man, we spent... A lot of money on product. But uh, I I remember always sharing testimonials to the developers. That's like a really fun gong ringing. Like we we have a dedicated Slack channel. Oh, my God. Check out this awesome testimonial to really connect the devs to. That's really helpful. uh, Like what it was meaning for our customers' lives, right? Do you know what was even cooler? Getting testimonials when I was investing a tenth of the money on dev is when we finally got to a point in dev where it's like, guys, what we have is amazing. It's surpassed in a lot of ways, our customers kind of uh, expertise. Let's pause. Like we're not, we can keep lying to ourselves for so long that this next feature is going to be the thing that's going to turn the revenue meter when it doesn't. And instead focusing on education and support and done for you services and stuff like that is what really moves the needle. And I was always afraid to let, to lay off dev because it was like the identity of the company. They all found jobs in less than a week, right? (laughs) And the testimonials and the testimonials keep coming in. And so that's when when you, once it's hard to know when you're there, right? When do we slow down product and focus on other areas? Um, In some competitive markets, you can't ever take off that gas. I get it. But I love taking the time to say, what if, what if you slowed that energy or what if you hired somebody whose full job it is to stay focused on marketing and education and engagement and stuff like that?
0: I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's the story. I've done that in, the, in the, the past as well. I have to, to pull back on Dev because it, it gets to the point where you're just building to build and it's not strategic. But then when you take that mm-hmm. step back and, and put those constraints in, you're much more thoughtful in the projects that you take on and the things that you don't.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of it. Did you find team. that as well? Absolutely. I think a lot of it comes to the, the habits you create, right? Uh, out of necessity, I had five to six people, I think, full time on, on product and design and dev at one point. Um, and so we needed to have a sprint and we learned how to do really awesome sprints. So over the course of three, four years doing two week sprints, we created some amazing software. But guess what? I didn't have a marketing sprint because I didn't have a I didn't have a team of five six marketers, um, and and there's parts when I look back I go what if what if I would have had treated our marketing efforts and our education efforts with the same diligence with the same attention to detail, sh- making sure we're shipping on a two week schedule, and that's what I like helping other founders do now is just giving that accountability, that that cycle so it's just, it gets done that way because so many big projects. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, we got we to gotta do a YouTube channel. Let's get that going. And you give it to an admin who doesn't really have at, like the strategic skill set to make sure that happens. And the reality that it takes weeks and weeks and weeks of re- repeat uh, task, right? So much success in marketing comes from doing a thing that works a thousand times versus trying to do a thousand things. That's really, really good advice. Is I think
0: that that's where a lot of companies approach marketing is they they think they need to do all this stuff because that's mm-hmm. what somebody told them they should do, and then they watch something else and it says you should do this channel and that channel, and, and you got all this stuff that you're supposed to do, but there's not yep. a plan, there's not a focus in that. And so, yeah. tell me about uh, you know fractional CMO and and how you've seen fractional services and, and how that works for one, but then how you've seen it mm-hmm. used in the marketplace
1: yeah I see it cropping up more and more. I think the the fun thing is for me, discovering it uh, as as my own company I've slowly realized doesn't require all of my time, right it, it, I got it to a really awesome spot using automations that we can talk about later, having hiring really awesome people that are that feel empowered to make decisions and execute without me. Um, it took a long time to learn that, but the reality is a. My company didn't need me full-time anymore right and when people would always ask me Nate what are you gonna do when you're done with sticky and i would I would do this rant and then one day I read this book by Casey Stanton about being a fractional CMO I, I heard him on a podcast defining what the heck does that mean it's like well you help founders with bigger solve bigger problems and you do it in like a part-time fractional way and he starts describing and I'm like, oh my god that's what I've been Saying that for years now, and now it's like (laughs) there's this nice definition around it. Um, you know what it's called now, yeah, exactly. Now I have a name for it, which makes it a lot easier. Yeah, um, some of the things that I think I the biggest surprises, surprise benefits that come with having a, a part time C level person is for a long time I thought I couldn't afford high level talent, right? I was always in my own business too, I was always hiring. These frontline people that could execute really, really well, but they would get stuck and they would maybe dig. They spend too much time digging uh, one hole too deep. It's like, oh, gosh, guys, wait a second, like back up here. We we don't need all of that. Um, And so what's it's it's coming into that awareness that most companies, one to 20 million of size, they don't need a full time person in the C-suite. Right. And there's actually some negatives that happen. Right. If you have a I can imagine there's a lot of companies I work with. If if I was working with them full time, I would start to get in their way. I would start to micromanage. I would have a tendency to distract others, etc. When most businesses need just a little bit of of that strategic thinking, you and I could riff on a strategy plan for any marketing, any business in one hour that could easily take a team. 90 days to implement, right? And so Absolutely. the fact yeah. that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm part-time is an awesome feature that really helps um, make sure that everybody's skill set is being used the right amount.
0: I see that a lot where companies become top-heavy pretty quickly or they just give titles to people that don't necessarily have that, that level of strategy that
1: they really need mm-hmm. to, to move forward. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of friends... Um, that are for whatever reason, I it was my even in my early days of my corporate life. Um, I learned how to really work well with other developers, even though I'm not a develop developer myself. Uh, this this is a weird story where I I was in charge of the sales training department and I needed like tech support, right? Um, and it just so happened that we had it was a big ERP sales company or ERP software company. And the the rock like the rock star demo guys, the best of the best. They had like this elite squad next to us that would build the demos, right? So they were like the best dev minds in the company. They had zero reason to help me, right? There, I had I had no authority. I had I was just a young strappy nerd. <laughs> but I learned how to just like like listen to what was going on next to the cube, to when was the right time to ask them a favor? How, what was the right way to ask them a favor? So all of these skills I learned about how to work well with developers in the day job really helped me lead teams of developers in my own company. Uh, Cause it's an interesting type of personality uh, to manage, and I've I've surrounded myself with people like that. Even some of my best friends are developers, so I can really tease them a lot and how the, the way they see the world. It just cracks me up sometimes. Oh, but that's great. Now I think that my I, I like helping a lot of technical founders because a lot of them know they should be focused on marketing. It just makes their skin crawl, right? Yes, developers it does. are are the right, and it, it just feels. Cringy and cheesy. It's like, ah, oh, I, why I shouldn't. The best companies in the world don't need marketing. If I would just go make the product is better, better today. That's all I need to do. And for some exceptions, that's true. But it's additive. It doesn't have to be either or. And it, it, when you can do authentic ba- marketing that really meets the customers where they are, it, I think it. In the best cases, it gives the developers the runway they need to build the dreams of like the products of their dreams. Um, a lot of times they're having to cut corners because of revenue, but when you can unlock really scaling marketing, then it's a win-win for everybody.
0: I think that's absolutely true. As I've, I've seen that where you have a product that, that is inferior, but it's marketed really well and, and it will outsell a better product just because mm-hmm. it's positioned well. And that doesn't mean that clients are buying it and then they're not happy and like, Oh, this, this is not as good as that other thing. They're happier. They're, they're yeah, really totally. bought in and, and committed to the product, even though it may be technically inferior to something else that's out there.
1: So the best product doesn't always win. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. I've got an interesting kind of anecdote. when I was at about the eight-year mark where I got a phone call from a competitor who was going out of business. Um, it was, it, I didn't even realize what, how, how sad it was until we dug in. Um, it was The first time I heard about them was six months in. And it was one of those feelings where I was like, oh, well, they won. I should just pack up. Like I discovered somebody's like, hey, Nate, have you seen of this company? And I went and looked. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's that feeling of like seeing your roadmap done live. (laughs) It's like all the things I wanted to build. They already had it. Right. And so in so many ways, they had every single feature. Okay, fast forward eight years. I got a call. He says, Nate, I've always admired your marketing, your commitment to the space and education we're looking to sell. We're kind of packing it up. I was like, "Oh, okay. What are you looking to sell? You have your your product's obviously awesome, but I now have caught up and got a lot of those features. What about users?" He like, goes, "We only have 10." I was like, "Wow." Oh. And that like the dire, I didn't realize it was that dire, right? He says, "What?" I go, and then it just became like a therapy session from like, "How did that happen?" And they had one Kind of product evangelist that was a photographer that kept saying, this is good, but you need this. Mm. This is good. Okay, that's wow. great, but I need this. I need this. But I need and they just never would focus primarily on just telling the story of the awesome thing they had today. Uh, it was a really heartening lesson to take. Like, it's not – there's always more to build, right? But from of the course. moment you have a, hand, like a handful of raving clients, just – Keep, keep, like, it's so important to keep rinse and repeat that system that cr- create your, if you're able to create a happy client today, that by definition, it means you don't necessarily need everything in your roadmap done tomorrow. And if you get too focused on it, it can, it can burn the company out, right? You can run out of cash Absolutely. chasing that.
0: Yeah and its I think all of us have experienced clients like that where it's just if you add this thing then I'll buy well you know if you add mm-hmm. this other thing then and so it just it goes on and on but uh, I think you're it, right the, it's really about marketing what we have not waiting for the the magic
1: thing I think that across the whole revenue spectrum all the all the KPIs to measure these days in SaaS I really have a big I think it's just out of necessity now how much i focus on ltv and the reality is if you're getting a bunch of customers that are nitpicking your feature table i don't those aren't the type of clients that are going to stick around forever anyway right if the you're difference right. of them joining your company is this this one key feature i would classify them as a high risk anyway and it's not, maybe it's not worth chasing people with a feature war, right? Where if you, can, if you can win customers in a more meaningful, like best practice, kind of product-driven, mission-driven, cool, like other, other ways that are more sticky, <laughs> um, yep. I think that's, that's a better way to increase LTV. And so
0: how do you know when you have a, a
1: good LTV?
0: I mean, do you have a, a sense for, you know, I don't know if it's you or other clients that you've worked with. You know, what does it look I mean, obviously, we want it as high as possible because we want clients right. to stay forever.
1: Yeah. I think that's interesting. What, what I see, I just I think that most people don't focus enough on it, frankly. And so I see it in other ways. Like, it's almost hard for me to turn it off and say, keep focusing there longer. I think a lot of people say, okay, we're good. Let's go build features or let's go get traffic. That's the other big mistake. Let's go get traffic. Let's go buy. Right. Let's, oh, we're only spending 20 grand in ads this month. What if we spend 40? Where I go, um, what if we sell a premium product, a premium install, so that you're recouping your more of your LTV on the front end, then what, right? Let's take a pause to sharpen our axe. Maybe let's build a chainsaw and then let's get back to running traffic. Um, yeah. And so... I don't. That's a good question. I don't know if I have a, a perfect formula yet for when LTV is good enough, um, just because I think that it's natural for a lot of companies, especially when cash is coming in, they're profitable, to take their eye off the ball. And I think like it's my job to always come back to, okay, let's revisit LTV. What's it at? How can we meaningfully add it? And And to be honest, you know what? LTV is a guess. It's. I think a it lot is. Of people, yeah. They, 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 it's an estimate based on unknown future. LTV numbers didn't mean anything when COVID hit, right? Who cares if you had a, a great LTV before that? Because everything changes, and right? So I think it's it's good to always be looking at it, knowing that it's based on a lot of variables that can still change.
0: And I think they they do change, pretty often. And mm-hmm. so paying attention to the the market changes and any economic changes. As you're right when when revenue is flowing and uh, cash is easy to get that yep. hides a lot of mistakes right. so l t v it's you know it's what it is CAC payback not real worried about it right now. We're just going to spend and, and acquire market share and then you know the the music stops and you're looking for mm-hmm. a chair yeah, and so exactly. then you know all these all these mistakes that you've been overlooking for
1: a few years are starting to come to light, and that's a that's a rough place to be it is absolutely. I think that having a high LTV really buys you time too. It buys you time in, in in times of downturn, et cetera. And the other thing, it just, again, out of the necessity to be scrappy with a smaller team and a smaller um, a company, it forced, in times of downturn for us, I had to to kind of pivot a little bit to how do we get more of LTV early? And some while that was the impetus, some other amazing things happened. So we started selling Premium install, right? So we instead of selling for three hundred dollars sign up, and you go build your own funnel. To like a, a lot of photographers aren't well, like what's a funnel, right? So that was mistake number one. <laughs> um, I said, well, what <laughs> yeah, if they, we start- they're not marketers, right? They're exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So what can I do? What if we just build this for you for two to four thousand bucks? And the right co- photographers, are like absolutely. And so not only was that awesome to get that much LTV on the front end. Oh, and by the way, there's still an installed customer. I still get the recurring revenue in the back end, but the churn looks night and day different on a client Absolutely yeah. premium installed versus somebody who's installed themselves. Um, because what happens is I think the place I jump to and the next metric is I bounce a lot between LTV and then activation is really studying what's that magic moment. And what was so cool for us is all of the things that my automations used to measure and coach and guide towards, my team was doing that. When we we had their go-live call, when their funnel and their email sequences and automations go live, that was the flag in my CRM that marked somebody as activated, right? And so now it's done. Not only do I get... LTV, uh, two years of, 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 revenue or more upfront, um, they're fully activated and engaged and drastically gonna, gonna stick away from us for some, that much longer. Um, yeah. Much so higher really level fun. customers too,
0: because they have that buy-in on the front end. You're, you're really kind of setting a bar of, if, if you're not serious, if you're a hobbyist, if it's, this is not, you know, what you're pursuing yep. and those are
1: the ones that are probably going to churn anyway, but you're setting that bar of, you know, you have to be this tall to ride. Yeah. Absolutely. That's another – that one, that alone, raising prices, oh, my gosh. All over and over and over again, raising prices solves a lot of good problems for, for a company. Um, yeah, the other one is just how – I'm a big nerd in, like, UX, UI. I think it's really important, especially selling to creatives. I knew it was important to have an aesthetically nice, easy-to-use product. But fast forward 12 years when – it used to be – People had a handful of, of pro- software tools they used on a day-to-day basis. Now everybody's got tons, right? Right. And it doesn't, even when we've, amazing companies have spent millions of dollars on really thoughtful UX, UI, a new product is hard to learn, right? It and, is, yeah. And I think that when you can, this is another fun story is, some of our most raving testimonials have come from one of our, our, our they always say your, your first launch, you should be embarrassed by your first version. I was really nervous. Like our first version of one of our products was this website launch. And it was our buggiest launch ever with our most raving fans because it was a done for you premium setup call where we did, we, instead of teaching them how to set up their account, and set up their page. We did it and built it for them. And then had a go live call with them on the phone with a human being. And so customers were just like, oh my God, this is so simple. This is so easy. I can't believe how easy it is to do that. You guys are geniuses. It's like all this stuff. It's like, what? The <laughs> <laughs> only you knew. That's great. It's, it's so cool. So um, that's another awesome shortcut to. Um, and I know that's the other thing that if people listening, go, oh my God, I would never do premium services. What's that classic line? Us and the devs would always joke about from. Um, oh, there's that rockumentary. Turn it to eleven, right? We'd yes, always love yeah. to say, right? That with 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 SaaS, it's so great about SaaS is you just get a thousand customers tomorrow and you just turn the AWS servers up. Great. And so I really, for a long time, it was a blind spot. I thought that I couldn't scale a team that quickly, and turns out with with good automations on the back end, the same automations I was used to building for my customers, I've now built for the team, integrating Trello and Zapier and Forms and Typeform, and and so that we can follow a a very awesome system, a proven process behind the scenes that makes it seamless for the customer, and it scales pretty darn quickly up and down with a small agile team. Um, And so I think that was a, I closed my mind to, 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 Doing services, doing things with humans, uh, but I think that's a it's a huge differentiator now. When you can, um, it's just an unfair advantage when you have human beings helping your customers because they're human too.
0: Yeah, and that's something that can't be easily duplicated. I mean, people look at it from the outside and mm-hmm. think, "Well, well, that doesn't scale." And you can just laugh right. and go, "That that's right. It sure doesn't for you <laughs> because yeah, you have right. the the processes built in." and uh, the mm-hmm. automations i think that's that's brilliant and that's not something that you know can necessarily be replicated um through through just technology right i mean yeah and maybe a little bit of the experience but not the expertise not building it i think that the clients are really happy because you know it's magic because it just works right and because you made it that way where mm-hmm. if you just give it to them and and i think that's where a lot of product led growth things go wrong Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know download my thing or you know do the free trial, and I hope and you figure it out in fourteen days. Yep. And that that's a really tough place to be. And some solutions are simple enough for that to
1: work, but a lot of them are not. Absolutely, and I, I think that it's it's not an either or, right? I think that dev is really expensive, right? It, dev, it's it's each of them have a place. Uh, what if there's one thing I've learned is that like all of those rules about the hiring an A player dev is worth it is better than like 10 C level devs. Um, that's absolutely true. I've learned that like, however, you have to really, it's like home improvement projects. Dev is always more expensive takes longer than you think it will. Yes. Um, and so both things are true. And I found frankly that while a system, a manual system, um, is expensive and it's tricky to scale. It's hard, it's hard to f- hire and find good talent. But once you have good talent in place, um, I've been really impressed with how much we've been able to flex. It's actually been easier for us to flex our, our human processes as long as we're documenting them using Trello and stuff like that. Um, that that's easier to adapt for than, than Dev.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think that's a really um, good perspective.
1: So I think the other fun thing to chat about, uh, you and I did our our kind of research beforehand, is this idea of just helping people get the true value that they were hoping to get out of your software or your product. There's this like lightning in a bottle image, another Dan and Chip Heath book, um, The Power of Moments. I had this like visual come to me where we launched a – A new software tool it was it really it was bundled with like an eight-week training program and it was really good on paper great idea (laughs) best laid plans um but like i launched it we had 500 people go through and um it was just terrible completion like less than less than 10 percent of the people completed it wow and um and completed the training program and I would tell my like info product marketer friends they're like, oh, "Wow, you got 10%. That's awesome. We would kill for 10% completion. <laughs> and I was like, no way. I can't sleep at night. I don't want to sell anything that only gets used 10% of the time. And I went so far as to look at hiring uh, coaches, like one, like accountability coaches that would jump on calls and all that stuff. Um, learned a lot and in digging into it, but r- realized that our price point wasn't going to work with hiring enough that that role. And I just asked myself, okay, what does a good coach do and how can I automate that? Well, what's like the MVP of a good coach? And I've I've loved my background is in uh, I've got a master's degree in training and development. And I love the combination of good training content with a coach. And so I, I knew that there was something there, the way those can work together. So a good coach will ask powerful questions and then they'll mirror them mirror them back to you right they'll just be a really good mirror for you like you said this yeah how's that going right like okay i think i can build that um and so as a a synthesis of a bunch of different tools i use zapier and trello or sorry zapier um teachable and typeform and i would I, i pulled a couple different books too like the compound effect um and start with your why and so as soon as somebody would sign up right there was this moment of like I had an application even oh my gosh I remember I would make people apply to get in to make sure they were a good fit and people would write these long oh my god this is going to change my life please let me in this is going to be it. and then they'd sign up and I wouldn't they wouldn't log in I wouldn't see them for a month I'm like what what happened so how can I capture that lightning in a bottle moment? When they've applied, they've watched the, tra- the, the the sales webinar, whatever it is. And I asked the question, why is success in this program so important to you? And they would type in that answer. It's a powerful question. And then the next one was like this future pacing, or I'd say, okay, life happens. You're going to get busy. Write yourself a cheerleader message, kind of p- holding yourself accountable to come back in and, and finish this up. And start the message with "Dear Your First Name," right? I felt I, I felt a little weird and cheesy creating it, but it gives me goosebumps to this day. Like the the things they would write were so meaningful, and it would sound irresponsible and cheesy and cringy if I tried to strike that same tone. But they were like they were talking about their families, about providing for their children. It was just really meaningful stuff. And and then guess what? So what would happen is in my system I could track how their progress in their program, and if they hadn't logged in in a couple of days or a week, I'd send them an email. And I made it very transparent. I said a wise person once said, and I would make it <laughs> their that's fantastic. Words. Uh, and so as you can imagine, our completion rates like more than quadrupled. And so I've tried to use that tactic in as many of the things I can. And now with cool tools like Video Ask, I can deliver a, a video message. I have the people on camera recording messages to themselves saying, come on, Nate, you can do this. Stick with it. You know, this is important. You got a lot on your plate, but you can, if you just buckle down and get this done, it's pretty cool. I think that coming back to this new era we're living in with AI, and uh, TikTok and the uh, TikTokification of attention spans, it's so important that we just stay on our clients' minds without being annoying. Because so much of our best intentions of like the old school model of, of inviting people on an onboarding sequence that I always see, it's based on what? Time. All right, it's day Absolutely. 10. Absolutely, Let's right. go do day 10. Okay. What's so sad is if somebody hasn't done d- day one through nine and you send them an email that says, let's get started on day number 10.
0: They just want to give um, up. They're never going to catch up. So I just, oh, I can't do this. It's, I it's failed. Like, it's, it's it's the
1: opposite, right? It, does, it has the yeah. opposite, the, the worst. It's it's like it's a demotivator. Oh my God. It's to- it's the worst email you could possibly send at that yeah. moment. Right. And they it's feel a-
0: worse on day 11. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs>
1: Um, so that's been fun. And I'm I'm excited to work with companies on on leveraging some of these new AI tools to to extract even more good nuggets out of this like summarizing, t- taking what people are saying. We transcribe a lot of video asks and summarizing it, and f- instead of just feeding them back like one time, is creating a cool drip of accountability that is is more authentic and more meaningful. Um, to, just to remind what's that, the other one I based this on is that, that classic MIT project, um, the wa- the wobble, I forget what it's called. It was, it was an alarm clock wheel. And so you'd set the alarm. <laughs> in the Interesting. All right, so it, it's this idea that our brain is really Our big brain is really good at setting. Hey, we should work out in the morning. Hey, we should get up on time. We should do all these smart things right. for our business. Right. Oh my gosh, I just saw this, this class. I should definitely use this awesome new software. Okay. A week goes by and then we're just making the decision with our emotional brain and this, the Weeble product, it would roll off the, the, the desk and start rolling and flopping around the room so that you had to get up out of bed to go turn it off. That's a I remember crude, that. Yeah. Right. Um, and so how can we do that in a gentle way? Right. How can we come back to our clients? Um, Without making them feel shame and embarrassed and angry. Um, because as soon as you do that, then it's all your fault. Then it's just like your tool is right. complicated, right? I can't figure this out. I need a refund. But if it's simp- simply going back to the beginning of, okay, why did you sign up? Why is this important to you? What's that big, that big CEO hat like decision you made a week ago? Why is this important? Okay, awesome. I get it. Now let's dig in. Let's, let's start here. Okay. Start at step one, no matter what, if if this is day 30 or day two, let's start at step one.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I like that it's positive motivation and from themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and what have you done to keep yourself motivated
1: over the years? The entrepreneurial journey can be pretty lonely. So, you know, how have you conquered that? Yeah, good stuff. I was actually had another friend ask me, have you used any of these automations on yourself yet? I was like, oh, man, I should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start like writing notes to my future self. It's um, a good idea. The, big, the biggest one is human is owner-to-owner or top-to-top conversations. Um, I really had no idea how important this was. I was kind of hacking it along the way. And as you can tell, I am a talk to process out loud. And I would do that to, with my spouse with my neighbor, whoever would listen, I would talk to them about business decisions and business ideas. And it started to impact some of my friendships, right? In in a bad way. And I'm glad that I discovered masterminds, like what you do in the boardroom, is there just isn't, people can't understand what it's like to own a business, right? I was talking to, even though my friends and family, they like, were like, yay, go Nate. It's like, the high, both the highs. I would have amazing. Hey, we just did sixty grand on a webinar. You're like, Whoa. all of a sudden, they're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Or <laughs> okay, it's, oh, it's, man, it's I, unbelievable I, to them. Right, you you right. can't do that. <laughs> and then uh, the the downsides are really lonely. And speak, yeah. even sometimes within a company, if you if you're dealing with a really hard personnel issue that you can't even talk about with other other leaders or other people on the team, being able to talk to other Business owners is priceless, and it's it's so so important to have that connection point, um, just to feel heard. Because being an entrepreneur is by definition iso- isolating, um, and and just I um, think getting the ins- let alone the 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 actual business value of getting good ideas and coaching accountability, um, and I think. what's the saying you're the average of the five five people you spend the most time with right um i've found that there's times where i get a little embarrassed of success and i'll play small to make other people kind of comfortable um which is okay if it's friends and family i've learned that that i can't save everybody however if i really want to hit my goals i go surround myself with other business owners who are up to some awesome things because i just naturally want to like I want to do awesome things with them and rise up to my own full potential. I think that's so much fun is having
0: conversations mm-hmm. with people that are, are doing what you're doing and, and more. So people yeah. that are ahead, they can pour into you and people that are maybe a little bit behind that you can pour into them and just different experiences. Yeah. You know, we, to get where none of us is as smart as all of us together. And when we're working together and, and really building, we can build great things. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, I've been reading a lot about uh, this new book, Magic Words. I'll leave you with this, where he talks a lot about little tricks, like w- like I've got a teenager and a 10-year-old, where it's this, there's data behind this, where if you say, hey, um, can you help me clean up versus do you want to be a helper today? These little tiny words. Interesting. Um, is about. And the theory behind it is that it's about appealing to people's identity a sense of identity. And hmm. I think this can cut both ways where, but when, when we're, we're working with teammates, with our customers, I think it's important to to know that a, a person's sense of identity is one of the most motivating things. It's the most important thing. It's one of the hardest things to change. Um, but we can appeal to people's identity. Uh, I think it's, it's an in- useful tool. So I, anyway, that's just one of my favorite books I've been reading lately, is some fun nuggets in in magic words. Um how we use the the power of words in in our marketing, um and our messaging. It's pretty cool.
0: And how do we do that appealing to uh, someone's identity? Is it, you know, asking, you know, do you want to be a helper and and so helpers behave this way or leaders behave this way?
1: Mm-hmm. Um I think that it's realizing that There's a – even when you do customer surveys, I think you have to take it with a grain of salt. A lot of it is isn't conscious, right? There's a lot of utility of why people sign up for you or why somebody leaves the competition, right? It can be so much bigger um, than features and about – they want to be a person that uses your software. How many times have you signed up for a certain software because you aspire to be a person – that uses that software. Exactly. Right? Um for me there's uh, like th- some of the planner books I I've, I've never figured out a good I'm um, have as a another common trait of f- founders is I've got ADD and I I am l- so jealous of people that have like those Covey planners every year they buy this nice <laughs> leather bound thing. I've bought those cuz I aspired, have two. <laughs> right? I've I can't use them to be No. Nope. The thing <laughs> The thing that I will, that I have figured out that I recommend people buy is that the product analog, it comes with a little, um, I've got a wider one where it's just like on your desk, there's only a spot for 10 things and that's all, it's gotta be looking at you. If I have a, whether it's digital on a, like a Trello board, um, or, um, or a book, as soon as the book close, that's gone to me, but day to day, um, these, a ten to do card has been transformational because it's looking at me all day. Um, anyway, it's kind of accepting the limitations of of what of my and, and the strengths that I have that come with it. Um, but back to your question about leveraging people's identity, I think it's it's knowing that if you can um, if you can have marketing engagement that lets them feel and and make progress towards that aspirational identity they'll stick with you a lot longer right and instead of t- talking down to them instead of um showing them like this is the way it, you should do it i really am careful to to invite people into um like it's not your fault that you haven't figured this out already you shouldn't have to have figured out all of this on your own, this, this illusion that everybody, all entrepreneurs should be experts f- immediately is, uh, I think it really holds a lot of people back. It so, really does. Yeah. I think that giving people another reason why they're not getting the results they want, um, as, as not them, right. That, that's a really important tool to use in marketing or, um, for example, let me give you a tangible, um. So we help people with websites, right? I, and I know I can't go toe-to-toe with, with Squarespace, but the thing that Squarespace doesn't give clear words in the right order, right? They'll make your website look pretty, but pretty doesn't mean it's going to make you any money. Right, that's true. And, and, and so many entrepreneurs beat themselves up, whether you're a photographer or a software founder or anybody. There's this like... You be, you, th- you. think that, oh, because I run a company, I should I'm the one that should write the words on my website or we've, we're going to go buy another website template or that people will switch website hosts as if that's going to be let's go right. hire this designer and t- make the logo bigger. It's like, no, the most important ingredient in a website that, that connects with people is clear words in the right order. And that's a hard thing to create. And it's, so number one, it's not your fault that your website's not getting results, right? You weren't given the ingredients that you thought um, you needed. Um, the second part is, is accepting that, A, some of the best people to work on your marketing aren't at your company because it's that stranger's perspective that's invaluable, is being able to look from outside looking in and simplify how do we really break it down to its smallest pieces um and writing copies hard and it's a lot of people for for a lot of people it just it zaps their energy and i'll i'll end with one more book recommendation go to your strengths by marcus buckingham what do you do when your kid comes home with four a's and a a c well the traditional one is well let's work on that c let's get you back up to being a well-rounded student right where he flips it he says no go do your go do more a work right yeah yeah celebrate the a's and focus there Yeah. Like you can hire to instead of uh, instead of trying to force yourself to do the work that literally zaps your energy. So if you're a a tech founder that just hates writing emails, hates blogging, hates making videos or whatever it is, um, find somebody who who the same way you light up when you work on your on things you love. There's people like me who get just as excited to work on marketing copy. And to work on building systems that build freedom and runway in in a company.
0: That's so important because that makes business fun, and that's that where so you does. really thrive. Is when everybody is really focusing on what they do best, yeah. Instead of so the things that trying to make that C into a a C plus or a B minus, yep. uh, instead of really just
1: focusing on what you love, and yeah. uh, and it, it doesn't feel like work anymore because you just love that's. It. And we're that, just one more pitch for the C, the fractional piece too is. I think there's a tendency to say, oh, hey, we're getting all this traffic. Where's, where's acquisition channels coming in? We're getting all this money, all this free traffic from YouTube. Okay, well, let's go do Facebook. Let's go do TikTok. It's like, wait, 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 why? I'm only here part-time. Let's optimize this. Let's make sure we squeezed everything out of this first before we get distracted with the next shiny object.
0: That's, that's really hard as an entrepreneur, especially, you know, ADD is uh, shiny objects. And chasing mm-hmm. the the next big thing, so
1: easy to do, especially in marketing, because there are a lot of shiny objects out there. Yeah, there are. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yep. And there's, and I think the one of my favorite things is learning. In twelve years of of this, is I there's a new meetup that's happening called. I don't know if we can swear in this. It's they have an asterisk. Um, it's <laughs> called EFT, but they spell it out with an asterisk. Okay. And what they're doing is they're getting people to come in and and share the lessons they've learned from the mistakes. And I think it's such a refreshing way where for so long, anybody who's got venture money or who's got a bunch of money, all of a sudden they're an expert. And the reality is any marketing tactic or shiny new object, we've got to take it with a grain of salt. There's a yes. lot of variables that aren't being told in any one given case study. Uh, and just because you think you see it work for one company does not mean it's going to work for you. And, right. and so number one, not feeling like an idiot or a failure when it doesn't but knowing that there's nuance and it's almost always better to do fewer push-ups the right way than trying to do a thousand bad push-ups that's great advice okay
0: where can we learn more about you online
1: <laughs> yeah um if this is resonating i would love to chat frankly um c- please check out stickycmo.com um, there's a link to schedule a console call with me. I'd love to take a look at your business to see if a fractional role would be the right fit for you. For you, um, I also have like half day opportunities where we can just do a quick dive into your business and I can easily give you a strategy to run with, um, with with your existing team or not. Um, but yeah, I think the f- check it out at stickycmo.com and let's just talk. I think that's the easiest way. And Excellent. I'm working on... Some cool training, I've got a, a good training I'm working on about the right way to post testimonials and how to get customer testimonials that people will actually read. So by the time this is published, that might be ready there as well.
0: Excellent. But yeah. Make sure to link to all of that in the show notes.
1: Right on, cool. Nate, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. It was an honor, it was so fun. Thanks for bringing me back uh, down memory lane and I hope this is helpful to your audience. Awesome.
0: And marketing and sales can be difficult if that isn't your background and without a clear strategy to follow. But, you know, with that, it's much, much easier and more effective. So thanks again, Nate, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. And be sure to check out our new YouTube channel also. Just search SassFuel and it's right there. If you're getting value from the show, please subscribe or follow us. It helps us out and lets the entire production team know that you appreciate them. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a rubber band ball. Simple, tangible reminder of resilience. Join us next time on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series for Z. Z. founder and CEO of Mass Engines, which maps and automates the customer journey to increase deal velocity and closure enabling enterprises to optimize lead flow and transform their funnel. And then next Tuesday, our guest is Dan Fernandez, co-founder of multiple SaaS platforms, including so Stocked and Thomason, and extensive experience leading offshore teams. Really, really interesting insights next week from Dan, and we've got Z coming up on Thursday. So I will see you then, and as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to
1: podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!